So welcome, Rohan, to the newest edition of Life in Digital. It's uh, really, really great to have you on board. So thank you for joining us. Um, what I thought would be good to start on, of course, uh, I've seen that you've just been promoted to CMO of Iris TV. Congratulations with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah really exciting news. So look, I, I'd love to find out, of course, a little bit about that, but a little bit about you and your background. And of course, Iris TV, do you mind running our listeners through that? Of course. And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as the CMO of Iris TV, I lead our global marketing endeavors. Uh, our responsibilities include formulating and implementing our company's marketing strategy, fostering our customer acquisition and revenue growth, and of course, strengthening our, our, our brand's reputation in the market. Uh, prior to joining Iris TV, I've always been fascinated by that intersection of technology and media. Uh, I've worked in the entertainment and hospitality industries in the U.S. and in China, uh, where I was very fortunate to gain experiences across like a variety of different disciplines, including uh, scaling economy hotel franchises across greater China to co-financing films with, with Hollywood and, and, the, and the Chinese market. So definitely been an interesting journey, and that's led me to Iris TV. And um, so Iris TV, and you know what's fascinated me and attracted me to the company is that we're really about making the data behind every video accessible and actionable to create better viewing experiences and advertising outcomes. Our, our team comes from a variety of different backgrounds from you know, film, television, we have Disney Imagineers to folks who are fine artists. So there's definitely kind of a mix of folks. You know, we love, we're kind of TV geeks and movie nerds, but ultimately we want great storytelling to thrive. And the big thing we believe is that um, it's about really connecting and making that data on the video level really accessible. And, you know, there's a lot of plumbing and te technical explanations to how all this stuff works. But basically, you know, we enable media companies like Univision and AMC and even like OEMs like LG Ad Solutions and Visio Ads to use our Iris ID to connect their video level data with ad tech to power advertising applications in online video and, and CTV. And these applications include what we call video level contextual and brand suitability targeting, as well as post campaign reporting. Yeah, and you know what, the, the technology looks fantastic, but very interested by your background. Was it working with, say, with Hollywood uh, in China? Was that right? Or for Hollywood Productions in China, all the way now to ad tech and into no. the CD and the measurement space? It's incredible, really. Western um, perspective, for sure. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Well, that's a great journey. Well, what, one thing obviously you mentioned there was that Iris ID and, and something I've been reading a lot up about. So it'd be great if you wouldn't mind just telling us a bit about that and, and how that maybe does enable brands, of course, to better enhance their campaigns. Sure, yeah. So the Iris ID is a content identifier. So most people think of an ID, they think of a people-based signal, but this is a content signal and it, and it enables data solutions and currencies that are typically used in display in YouTube now access video and CTV for the first time. So another way to think of it is like consider this like a hashed version of what a page URL was in display advertising or in YouTube. And what we're really trying to do with the Iris ID is like solving the transparency and brand suitability problems in streaming by, by providing buyers uh, access to enriched video level data for targeting and then program level information for reporting. So the Iris ID, you know, because it's such a fragmented and complex ad ecosystem, it provides a common data signal across supply partners, and it really makes it easier for advertisers to scale media buying and streaming. Um, it also allowed buyers, like I said, to bring those brand suitability and contextual currencies from one programmatic activation to now CTV and video. 
And then, you know, for publishers, obviously, it's, you know, when they have the ID and they pass the ID in the Bitstream, they're now able to share enriched contextual and GARM brand suitability segments that could be transacted for direct private marketplace and open auction buying. So it's one of those things where, you know, um, going from one type of context, which is like TV and linear experiences, to CTV, you know, you're watching on the same glass, but it's a fundamentally different experience and the tools you need are different as well. Amazing. Yeah, no, fair enough. That sounds great. So I guess moving on from that, really, I mean, uh, it'd be good to ask, really. So what, what what do you kind of see as like any new challenges that the industry maybe is facing with obviously addressing free ad supported TV or, or fast and, of course, AVOD in environments? What, what do you mean to see as the challenges there at the moment? Yeah, no, good question. I think also fundamentally, it's like, you know, just taking a step back to think about the differences of the of the experience, right? So it's important to understand the nature of the medium. So TV is a one-to-many medium, whereas CTV is, you know, or advanced TV or however we want to call this new way of experiencing content is one-to-one like digital. Uh, in TV, there in a day, there's like thousands of ad placements um, in, in digital and streaming connected TV, there are billions. So CTV is not appointment viewing, right? It's we we all know what it feels like to spend way too much time agonizing over what show to watch. And we do this because we're motivated by our mood and mindset in that moment. And in those moments, we are presented with ads. Unfortunately, as we all know, um, that ad experience is not always enjoyable. We see repeated, irrelevant, unsuitable placements. And I think a big reason for this um, is that complexity and fragmentation of the entire supply chain. So as more streaming channels and platforms emerge and there are more nodes in this distribution link, it's really harder for brands to reach their, their target audiences effectively and, and efficiently. So some of this we've seen play out in some unfortunate brand safety fails. GumGum released a study a few months ago that revealed that something like 20% of ad breaks in Fast and Avod had problematic ads uh, in children's content, including ads for alcohol and gambling and while it's never a good idea to show alcohol to, to, uh, to kids, um, it's also a waste of money. So this has become you know, even more pronounced as we see the increasing number of environments where various, various sources of content can be um, seen and distributed. So, so like I said earlier, right, this requires a more sophisticated approach. So take into account the content diversity, the user experiences, the ad format capabilities, and you know, adherence to guidelines. So you know, traditionally in linear, uh, advertisers have had a level of transparency called program level, like program level information is like show episode, whereas in CTV, that level of transparency is like really not possible due to the business, their technological and some privacy headwinds, which you probably can get to later. But honestly, it's also not desirable if you're doing something that's a one-to-one experience, like viewers and viewers are motivated by mood and mindset when watching like it's a lot more important for advertisers to know what the show is about than it is to know what the show's name is. People are not watching um, the same show at 9 p.m. on a Thursday. So our journey to content is different. So it really is important for them to like really think about, you know, our preconceived notions and our conventional wisdom when approaching, you know, investment in CTV, specifically when you're dealing with challenges of like infrastructure, business and user experience. Yeah, absolutely. And 20% is a staggering number. I guess one, one in five ads not being appropriate. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. And it's one of those things probably because it's unlike the thing when we saw the Applebee's ad that came on CNN during the you know start of the Ukraine war. A lot of these experiences are, are not witnessed by everybody at the same time, but they are witnessed by everybody individually. So we all have, probably have that anecdotal feeling of our kind of angst when it comes to you know having unlimited choice to finally watch all the shows we want when we want to watch them. 
but the cost, right, is like it's an ad experience that can potentially, you know, diminish our our enjoyment of the show and potentially influence how we feel about the brand because of those, you know, of, of that fragmentation and those challenges of reaching people in those right moments. Yeah, exactly. No, of course. All right. Well, well, well thank you for running us through. Then I guess like moving on really from there. So obviously, consumer privacy is a, is a very very hot topic at the moment. It'd be good to understand your thoughts on you know how can marketers obviously still. Uh, deliver quality ads of course but with better targeting within that you know without violating that consumer privacy what, what are your thoughts there yeah i mean like yeah building off kind of like the last point you know as a marketer myself right i'm always trying to reach people and because of the issues of transparency it's really hard to find them at the right place so and so you know as i look to invest and as i'm sure my peers as well like content transparency is a license to spend and when more marketers can align their ads in the contextually relevant and brand suitable environments, they can reach viewers in the moments that matter. So one of the things, right, contextual, um, there are no real privacy concerns as it's a, as it's a content-based targeting as opposed to a people-based targeting. Um, obviously, I think it's, 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 it's different from contextual as it's been previously understood, which is like, you know, posting an ad for a computer on a tech blog. But now because we're able to like understand more about what content's about and really kind of diving into the topical natures of things, we are able to now, you know, extract that information and, and pass that so that could be activated and, and actioned at scale. And the way we believe that this is best way to come to fruition is through like a vehicle, like a content ID. And at Iris TV and the Iris ID, uh, we found a way to securely share what publishers are trying to share and make it actionable to advertisers. So Without this, you know, you really can't target brand suitable video accurately um, at scale and comply with things like COPPA and VIPA because, you know, the, at the core of it, it's right being able to find the right viewers. But you know, if you're if you're having access to what they're watching and who they are, that's problematic. So, in many ways, we are what we watch. You know, and it, and it reflects. You know, it's an identity signal in many ways. It's identity really is like context over time. You know, we can say to the world what. Our favorite movie is like Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Shivago, but many of us have a cue of The Office playing nonstop, right? And it's kind of, it's a better, maybe a better reflection of how we feel is to kind of maybe key in onto like what we're trying to watch and what makes us feel who we are. And, and, and sometimes that changes, right? It's just because, you know, we've had a purchase history it doesn't mean that's how I feel now. And especially if we're doing something on a shared screen and a shared device where there are many people in, in the household, right? So um, it's a really good signal to just now trying to find people in a privacy first way. That's, that is something that we're all kind of like, you know, you know, adopting as the modus operandi moving forward. Like we all know what ask app, app not to track is and becoming more literate in terms of getting that, that, that update that says on our browser about, you know, opting out and essential. And I never knew how much I knew about privacy just through being a consumer, even though I work in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And you must have my Netflix data somewhere if you're talking about having the office on repeat. I think it's fifth time through now. So uh, <laughs> I understand the, the troubles there. All right. Well, let, let, let's move on, I guess, to what probably the hottest topic spoken about at the moment. And it would be good to get your opinion on this. I know we've had a, a couple of previous guests on our podcast thoughts. So when it comes to AI, of course, like what, what's your opinion on how that maybe will impact the advertising industry and, of course, the streaming ecosystem? Right, right. Now, really good, um, really good, really good question. So, you know, while identity signals and streaming are, are losing fidelity due to, you know, business, technological, and some of those regulatory reasons, you know, marketers still need to reach 
you know, relevant consumers watching CTV. And while identity is not going away, many of you have revisited contextual as an alternative to kind of boost that signal. So what's remarkable about the advancements in AI is we've all kind of viscerally seen, um, but is the ability to really know what a story is about, kind of going back to that first point, right? And like for the, for the longest time, that information about sight, sound, and motion has not really been accessible. And, and we all know it's greater than the sum of its parts, right? Just because if you'll watch a movie like Rambo and versus an actual, you know, war scene from Myanmar, there's there's a difference to it. But to many to many other people, the the feeling of of seeing those things can be very similar. So being able to really know what something is about is important, and um, it's finally made like those content signals extractable and kind of a window into consumers' minds. So. Uh, what we've seen, especially with the folks we've been able to work with, is that frame by frame analysis really makes it possible to extract, you know, context beyond just uh, the standard categories, but getting into you know, that that brand suitability, right? That difference between like the bad news bears from 1976, where there's like racial ethnic slurs, the coaches drinking beer with the kids in the dugout. I love that movie, by the way, but it's different from the Sandlot, right? Which is like widely considered family friendly and um, but they're both rated PG, they're both comedy, and they're both family. So if you see that that data just extracted on its own, without any of the understanding of like the real, you know, the story, it, it kind of loses its ability to be useful for you. So that's what's been really interesting. So, you know, AI is extracting sentiment, emotion, and there's been a lot of studies that show that, you know, emotionally being resonant has a huge impact on your perception of, of a brand, especially if it's in the right place in the right time. So the fact that this is not like future futurism, this is here and it's now. And the challenge has always been trying to bring these things out of the lab and scaling them so they're actually useful for both sides of the market, publishers and, and advertisers. So that's why with our approach with the Iris ID, being able to connect that publisher data and take that to the companies like GumGum, Oracle, Pixability, Silver Push, Curve, you know, you name it. We worked with all these different companies. Like we're not the currency, we're not the point solution, but our job is to be able to connect and plumb all the data from the publisher so that these companies can now access it, use their particular flavor of AI to really help us understand what stuff is really about. And then from there, you know, they send that information back to us and we append those unique segments to that, that ID, which then can be activated and passed in the bitstream. So the big thing over here, right, is like, A, it's like AI is advanced. Uh, and then, but at the same time is that we don't want one flavor of AI for everybody. Everybody has their own preference as to what they want to use for what purpose. And so it's like getting that, getting the technology to be where it is, getting the technology to access the information it needs to access, and then being able to scale that information so it's usable and accessible for the entire ad ecosystem. And that's where things like content IDs and, you know, what we are, you know, selfishly, Iris TV has our content ID, and we believe that's the best way to do it. But but just it's one of those things we're finding out is becoming more and more of a of, of a thing to move towards content IDs and content signals in addition to the traditional ways we've found people because they also activate AI in a way that is you know, privacy first and useful. And that's the one thing. It's like taking something from the lab and scaling it into the real world is always a challenge. And that's why we take a lot of pride and, and are excited about. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying. You know, this isn't futurism. This is now it's happening. And it's great to see or see, you know, you guys recognizing that and acting on that. And I think that that's the great message, really. And I think you mentioned a bit there about, you know, brand suitability. So it'd be good to understand, of course, you know, how can brands, of course, be incorporating then brand safety and brand suitability processes into their media buying and planning, uh, you know, but without limiting audience reach and scale? What, what would you say there? 
Right, right. And this is like where like the conventional wisdom has been to ask publishers to send more content metadata in the bitstream. Uh, and there, while well, there have been calls also for publishers to share things like show an episode to solve the brand suitability problem and passing program, I mean, honestly, passing program level information, the bitstream is, is a non-starter for CTV. I think there's always been a, you know, a, uh, like I said before, right, when you're dealing with appointment viewing, knowing the show, you know, these negotiations are often done up in upfronts uh, is important because all the scale at certain times are happening on that live event. But when things are kind of happening on demand and you're seeing those billions of experiences, but experienced by individuals instead of everybody at the same time, it really makes things a challenge, right? So, you know, content owners are rightfully concerned about things like cherry picking and data leakage. And, and now with all the issues about, you know, privacy, you know, navigating, you know, existing and then forthcoming regulations is always going to be challenging. So, and he, but that said, even if publishers and even if VPPA and these rules allowed publishers to share that program level information, it really wouldn't be, you know, sufficient to determine brand safety and brand suitability, let alone in like a hundred milliseconds, right? Especially if you're activating programmatically. So, you know, sending more information, there's just too much subjectivity and inconsistency. Like what I think is a comedy versus somebody else thinks is entertainment can be, you know, widely different. So even if we're all following the exact same taxonomy, uh, sharing, it's not about sharing more keywords. It just makes the problem worse. You really have to watch uh, the content, you know, to actually know what it's about. And it's kind of a, a strange concept, like to think about, right? It's like, we're asking for like James Webb telescope level of resolution is saying that's kind of the only way to do it. And, you know, binoculars are, are not good enough. So it's like getting over that hump of like saying some data is worse than, is better than, than no data. And it's like, it's truly, you really need to have all the information to make decisions. And that's one of the biggest challenges that hasn't been available until now. So I think, you know, it's important for brands and agencies to ask their partners, especially if their solutions are using AI or they're, or they're being used for, for targeting, reporting, uh, and planning is their access to, to, to video level data. Like that's the way, that's the signal to say that your solution is watching it and knows what it's about and knows what's like relevant for my audience and my brand. Um, so like things like Charmin can now more likely would probably prefer to target Elf. Whereas like FanDuel might prefer to target the Wolf of Wall Street, right? And that's the, the kind of things where you can align to the feeling, the sentiment and your audience uh, in a way that's probably going to be beneficial. So, you know, brand safety has, you know, traditionally been about like making sure my stuff is not on IVT or fraud and then getting into the binary of the absolutely worst case scenario. But I think most of us live on those margins of suitability where it's really about being in the right place at the right time. So I think that's kind of the exciting part is that, um, you know, having access to information at the video level, being able to use these tools and then being active, act, be able to activate them is, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we're very excited about. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds exciting for sure. And I think you know, it's, it's been really interesting to hear about your thoughts, obviously, with Iris TV and Iris ID and, and how that really comes into play here. I think it'd be great if we could finish up just with a couple last questions, really, about what you're thinking about where we're going now. And of course, look, we're entering the second half here of 2023. So it'd be good to see how do you see, of course, like the industry evolving as we do get towards the end of the year now? What, like, what, what are next steps, really, that you're seeing? Yeah, I think there's definitely we're moving with greater urgency towards signal standardization and on as eyeballs and investments start streaming to, to streaming continues to pour in, right? Especially now with the political season underway, you know, there is a much higher bar now to for the, and a desire to reach the right people in the right context. Um, you know, we're definitely dealing with like, you know, more polarizing topics, challenges, you know, which, you know, to, you know, to our experiences. So I think 
you know, queuing in on content signals, finding ways to standardize them um, are now is definitely becoming more urgent. And, you know, I definitely expect to see more partnerships and integrations that enable more precise planning, targeting, and measurement, especially in CTV as we're more seeing how those things play out. I mean, we've seen those highlights of, you know, whether it's like Netflix, you know, putting million dollar, you know, CVs for AI specialists, right? There's definitely gonna be more of that stuff happening for sure. But being able to take that data and standardize it so it's useful is going to be a big thing. And we're definitely seeing more and more folks looking as at that as a way for them to, you know, activate their their technologies at scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's going to be interesting. It's crazy. We're talking already about the end of the year as well, but it'll be here sooner rather than later. It? And I guess maybe thinking a little bit ahead from that now then, Rohan, I guess, you know, looking into our crystal ball here, where do you see the state of advertising and streaming in the next few years, maybe? Where, where do we get to there? Yeah, I think, you know, privacy by design will be a default expectation for consumers. And the companies that embrace that in their product development will be rewarded. I think we've you know, we've always been, again, like as a marketer, right, I've been, I'm trying to find people wherever they are. And, you know, we're almost trying to find these different ways to, you know, get that signal, because, you know, we have these offline identities, we want to find them wherever they are. But I think we have to also be aware of that people have a different set of expectations of how they want to be communicated and marketed to. And I think the companies that, you know, understand where we've been, and, but understand where the, you know, they say, the old cliche, you know, skate to where the puck's going to be, will be rewarded. And then other things that, you know, AI and artificial intelligence, that's here to stay. But the extent of its influence on culture and commerce must re reside, I think, with organic intelligence, you know, AKA people, you know, as we all know right now, right? There's no show business if creators can't monetize their work. And while things like generative AI is attracting attention, I think, you know, creators will most benefit when AI is used to analyze and categorize as opposed to create, right? You know, you know, in recent years, you know, marketing has taken a more data-driven approach. And with AI, yes, there will be commoditization of some things that we've done, that people have done, you know, for, for years. But on the other hand, it does offer the opportunity to unlock human creativity and bring some of that art back to the science. And, you know, I think this is liberating you know, in many ways, right? It's like the feeling that can come with, you know, allowing humans to do what they do best let machines automate the rest, you know, there is some things that, you know, will, will be a challenge, but ultimately, you know, when we incorporate these tools so that we can more effectively reach consumers in the moments, in the moments that matter, right? And that's kind of where we're hoping to, as consumers, as storytellers of all shapes and sizes, right? Whether you, whether your, 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 your story is a show or your story is a brand, um, I think, you know, the use of these, of these innovations uh, shouldn't be feared, uh, but embraced, but I think it really does unlock the human spirit and our ability to kind of reach people in any way possible. I mean, a lot of us in this profession, like we didn't necessarily come in to become super literate in data, how data flows through the internet, but uh, we've come into, but this kind of gives us an opportunity, right? To really do the things that make us unique. And that's about reaching people, especially now that we're in, we're in such a remote, you know, world, right? Whether it's through work, you know, whether it's through, you know, our, our friendships and how we communicate with each other. It's like, bringing those connections, those human connections are going to be really important. And ironically, it might be AI that kind of brings us there. Yeah, that's it. I like that. AI will unlock the obviously creativity that humans can bring to it rather than replace, of course. I think it's nice to sing that way. And I'll definitely be stealing the organic intelligence phrase you've got there. I quite like that one. <laughs>
No, this is really interesting. And, and it's great to get your take on it, Rohan. And look, uh, I think it's best to end it there. So look, I mean, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time, of course. I mean, it's been great hearing about obviously you and, and your journey, but especially about Iris TV and the capabilities that that technology is, is bringing to the market. So Rohan, it's been great to have you here on uh, the Life and Digital podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate, appreciate it, Daniel. No problem.